Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Kale Smith. Joining me this week is Michael Benton from the Philip and Michael Show. Hello. Uh, and no, we are not reviewing a movie this week. We are not even doing the very thing I said we were going to do last week as a surprise episode because this episode came to us as a very, very bitter surprise to us um michael um do you want to take the honors and tell everyone what we're talking about this week uh yeah yeah okay so um when's this coming out tomorrow right it's coming out friday right i'm gonna do it all tonight i'm just gonna go ahead and it'll come out tomorrow morning but yeah okay so a couple days ago, I was on Twitter, like you do, and I saw the breaking news that, uh, and I'll tell you a personal story about it, but one of the, you know, one of the greats, one of the great directors of all time, Richard Donner, had died um, at 91, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, so I immediately... I reached out to you, or maybe you reached out to me. I forget, but you and I had just already hung out and talked about a particular movie. And I reached out to you, and I was like, hey, uh, if you want to talk about this, because I have a lot of feelings, very positive feelings about Richard Donner. And I was like, hey, if, if, uh, if there's any way, I know your show, you go weekly or bi-weekly or a couple times a week it just depends it was like hey if you want to you know talk about this i would love to come on your show and just kind of get together and talk about the the death of one of the greats yeah and you and i had done uh west craven uh almost six years ago at the beginning of this you know show and we had yeah. don't normally do so I don't normally don't do memoriams for the show because a I mean every I mean it would just be like a weekly thing you know <laughs> sure yeah sadly yeah. um um because you know, we all because it really does to me you know maybe it's not true but it does to me feel like we lose you know a great this and a great person you know or great something every week so it would just be its own show. Yeah, I mean, um, like, again, Ned Beatty, one of the great character actors only absolutely. a couple weeks ago, yeah. Who also worked with Donner. Um, yep, and, that's right. Um, so, but the reason why for uh, Michael and I, Richard Donner hits, kind of gets a special treatment is because it hit, he hit both of us kind of in a very soft spot. Uh, maybe for different reasons, but, you know, for me, it hit, you know, Richard Donner's death hit me because he is the director. He is not only the director, but he is the shepherd of the superhero genre. And we would not have, you know, we would not have Marvel. We would not have any of like the great superhero movies we have today without him sticking to his guns and crafting the template that most superhero origin stories now use. And, and there's other things too. I mean, I grew up loving the Goonies. I've seen the Lethal Weapon movies as a teenager. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, and the Omen. The Omen, yeah. And then uh, he did Scrooge. Um, yeah. 
I did not see Radio Flyer, but I know that was a huge movie for a lot of um, children of the 80s and 90s. Oh, my God. When I was one of them, when I was a kid, saw that in theaters. Oh, yeah. Radio Flyer. I haven't seen it in a long time, but uh, that story, because I have an older brother, and uh, we had a, uh, you know, my my parents stayed together and stuff, but there there was definitely... There were ways to relate to that movie for us. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I Um, forgot he made Radio Flyer. Wow. mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, I mean, for Western fans, he made Maverick with Mel Gibson. Um, (laughs) um, For Wachowski uh, purists, he made Assassins. That was their first movie, like, first, like, movie ever that they were a part, they had credits on. And they didn't want their credit. They didn't want their credits on that one. Not to. This isn't a knock against Donner. That movie got rewritten to the point that the Wachowski siblings were like, "We want nothing to do with this." Of course, absolutely. But still, I mean, you know, that, that's that's a big break for them. Yeah, I mean, it it led the way, in some way, either unfortunately or fortunately. It led them to Bound, and then Bound led them to the Matrix. So yeah, right, definitely. Um, and then, I mean, just trying to think, I mean, he's directed, you know, Julie Roberts, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, Gene Hackman, Marlon Brando, um, oh God, who's the omen, Gregory Peck. Um, Gregory Peck, yeah. Uh, do, I mean, just the roster of people he's worked with over the years. I mean, I mean, did you say Bill Murray, Bill Murray for Scrooge? Bill Murray, um, Rene Russo, Joe Pesci. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, <laughs> he, he worked. He was one of the biggest directors of all time. I mean, he worked with just powerhouse actors. You know, Mel Gibson before he lost his damn mind, or at least before we knew <laughs> he was a kook. You know, he, <laughs> he he did so much for film. And what I wanted to tell you to begin with is um, when I was a kid watching movies. I, I I didn't know movies were something somebody could make, right? <laughs> like I thought movies, I thought movies just came down from like a, a beam of light from the clouds and it would just lower and here's the new print and here's the new movie we will watch this summer. Who knows who made this? And Richard Donner was one of those names. I mean, when I was a kid watching uh, The Goonies, Lethal Weapon, like his name kept popping up at the end of movies, right? Or at the beginning in the credits, it would just say director, you know, d- directed by Richard Donner. And I just kept Absolutely. being like, Richard Donner, Richard Donner. Richard Donner is one of the first names I ever learned that I connected to a director and realized that a director is, you know, the person, I suppose, at the helm of, of, of movies. And, you know, it, he mattered a lot to me. You know, it was him, Spielberg, Cameron, like these people where you're just like, oh my God, especially in the 80s and 90s, we're like, oh my God, these are the best movies I've ever seen. (laughs) And it's directed by, some of them are directed by the same person. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, and on top of that, I mean, Donner, you know, Donner gets a lot of flack for being, you know, kind of the journeyman filmmaker. But I mean, I think, the journeyman versus auteur kind of gets misconstrued because people want to like 
you know, put on pedestals for the auteur because they have a specific vision, specific this and specific that. And sure. for, and no one, and I think, you know, a journey, you know, there are absolutely talented journeyman filmmakers out there. And I think Donner gets, should be on that pedestal because Donner, I mean, absolutely pulled talent together. He pulled screenplays. I mean, he, you know, and pulled, you know, greatness out of, I mean, this is a guy who founded our Superman. This is a guy who um, put Mel Gibson and Danny Glover together. This is the people, this is the person who um, coalesced a group of children and teenagers and made us believe they're from Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're all on a treasure hunt. And, or he founded Elijah Wood yeah um, yeah man <laughs> i mean this is the guy who put james garner and mel gibson in one movie as father and son <laughs> <laughs> which is i mean look i i dig it they both have kind of that 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 box jaw look you know maverick i never got into maverick as much james garner i always knew from uh reruns of the rockford files that my dad would watch over and over which is a detective show from the 70s which is by the way a fantastic show i just started re-watching but yeah i mean when people talk about auteurs you know scorsese and 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 uh, milos foreman and just all these these people coppola, are very yeah. coppola tarantino they all have this very specific vision that they're giving you and i love auteurs right uh, you know I, I i love them love i love a lot of them i guess i should say because there's there's auteurs where I'm like, yeah, I can't dig you. Like Louis Bunuel, like all these people from, you know, weirdo avant-garde French cinema. Um, never got into Godard um, particularly. But but the journeyman directors, they are both a throwback to old Hollywood, right? Where it's just, here's your assignment. Can you do a good job with it? Right now, everybody wants to respect the auteur and you should, you should. Like if you like somebody's vision, you like what they're doing, you like the risks they're taking, absolutely. But one of the great things about film is, is the journeyman directors are the ones that you actually know the most their work. Maybe not a particular mm-hmm. journeyman director, but you know the most from like Amy Heckerlin. That's not as fair because I feel like she's kind of more of an auteur and, and uh, the, the journeyman director. But where you see their work, it doesn't have a particular stamp. Like say with Tarantino, you have the trunk shots, right? Like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. You have the you're, you're, you're Kill Bill where it's just like, there's always that single shot he has. Or, or, or Scorsese with his use of pop music to be able to, uh, to, to, to drive a scene and for editing purposes with Thelma Shoemaker. Like, there's all that kind of stuff. But then there's plenty of films. There's more films you, whoever's listening, I would argue there's probably more films you love that are made by journeyman directors. They're not just getting a paycheck. That's the thing people always say. They're just doing it for a paycheck. Bullshit. This person is still spending two years of their life at least. At the very least. And I mean, for, you know, for Donner, I mean, he made four lethal weapons. 
<laughs> so that's 1987 to 1998. So let's say 1986 to 1989, 2000. Put their knowledge of the craft to expert use. You know, uh, uh, a lot of people want to say, you know, like like Soderbergh, right? He's both an auteur, and I also really respect his the way he goes about it. Which is, I don't right. like a lot of Soderbergh films, to be perfectly honest with you. I think I think some are great. You know, he's kind of hit or miss with me. Well, when you make a movie that quickly, you're not going to always hit, you know, 100%. Yeah, and he's definitely got his auteur fucking I'm in charge things about him, right? I'm the one who's shooting this film, right? Literally. Put the camera on me. Give me the camera. I'm going to do it. But I've always respected the fact that he doesn't see the director as the star of the show, as, say, a Tarantino would. His thing... When his films end, it never says first thing you see directed by Steven Soderbergh. It's, it goes directly to associate producer or whatever, you know, right? He doesn't believe in doing that. And Richard Donner, whether or not it said directed by Richard Donner, the first thing you saw at the end of the film, you got a great film. Not all of them. He's a director. Plenty of misses in his canon, right? Yeah. But he was... I mean, dude, growing up in the 90s, you know, when you grow up in a decade, you grow up on the work of the previous decade, right? So when I was growing up in the 90s, I was growing up on Superman, one and two, <clears throat> uh, uh, The Goonies, obviously, Lethal Weapon, Scrooge, Lethal Weapon 2, you know, like I was growing up on those movies. And Lethal Weapon is just a flat out masterpiece it is a master class in action filmmaking in every sense of the word it is one of my all-time favorite movies and you know it's funny it gets short shrift because lethal weapon also takes place during christmas and yet everybody wants to have that stupid meme about well my favorite christmas movie is uh is die, uh, hard. die hard yeah and it's like well what about fucking lethal weapon which i would argue they're both fantastic action films. And when it comes to the, the, the you know, either or, it's an unfair question. But for me, I'm a Lethal Weapon guy over Die Hard, to be honest with you. And I love Die Hard. But Lethal Weapon, like that Shane Black script and fucking the cast you've got, the direction, the score, everything about Lethal Weapon is so damn good. Well, you, you well in Lethal Weapon, and I know we're gonna and we're gonna jump around a bit, but in Lethal Weapon, one of the opening like character moments is you know is it's not it's Riggs, right? Riggs is uh, Gelbson, right? Yes. Uh, Riggs is you know watching TV and he's just turning it up loud, and he has a gun to his head, uh, you know, and he's you know trying to pull the trigger, but he can't do it. That's the oh, that's one of the first few moments of Lethal Weapon we have with Gibson's character, and it's a great performance, and it gives nuance and, and, it, and, it, and it gives you a reason why he is 
why Riggs is the way he is. Why, you know, he, you know, why he's willing to, you know, jump off the building with, you know, the one guy. Um, why he's willing to risk everything. Why he's willing to even go toe-to-toe with Gary Busey at the very end of the movie. So, yeah, I know, exactly. You'd have to be suicidal to fight a, a, a coked-up, crazy, ninth, late 80s Gary Busey. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? He was a yeah. psycho. You know, but you're right. Yeah, yeah everything about that that opening, well, I mean, after the cold open of, of uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the drugged-up daughter jumping to her death, it then cuts to another suicide. Think about that. It opens with a suicide, a drugged up, confused suicide, of course, probably not intentional. And then it cuts to just this trailer on the beach. Right? Mel Gibson, booty ass naked. Yeah, and he just, careless. He's just careless and he just drunk, right? Or hungover from the night before, hungover. chugging a Miller. And then he puts the gun in his mouth and he just, he can't do it. He can't do it. And you don't know why he can't because his backstory is so damaged. It's so hurt, but there's something about him. There's some drive about him. And it comes from, you know, to be able to show that that way. Yes, Shane Black deserves all the credit for that script. But remember Richard Donner, he was an A-class director. He had directed Superman. The Omen, like he had directed some hits. He very easily could have massaged yeah. these scenes or, to, or hired yeah. a writer to rewrite those scenes out. Yeah, cut them out. He very easily could have done that. He could have done that so many steps along the way. And yet he was mm-hmm. like, no, this is this is this is everything. I mean, Martin Riggs is the lethal weapon, right? He's he's He's, you know, he doesn't give a fuck. At least that's how it seems, of course, in the first half. So he didn't give a shit. And it's absolutely, it's breathtaking to watch. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and I mean, on the other side, I mean, Murtaugh by Danny Glover. uh, First of all, good, good aged makeup, good old age makeup, you know, for Danny Glover um, and also perfectly cast too because I mean you need someone saying in by the books to counter Riggs's you know or Gibson's Riggs and then you and you just put them on a journey and they yeah. both come and they're both in this movie trying to understand each other they're both trying especially R- Murtaugh with Riggs they're trying to understand why he is and it's all centered the whole movie is about the after effects of vietnam essentially oh 100 no no 100 percent. I, I totally agree and i even gary because even gary Busey's villain is a vietnam vet no and he's all, taking all his own are. trauma in a different way yeah. yeah they were all a part of uh like air america and all of that stuff in vietnam about well not even vietnam but in that era of going into like Laos and Cambodia and running drugs and stuff. And it just shows, you know, how even by 1987, people was, were still trying to figure out what was Vietnam? Was this, was it worth it? If it wasn't worth it, how bad, how corrupt did it get? What did it do to our service people over there? Like, it's a fascinating movie. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What did it do to our men? Um, And so, and yeah, I, I, yeah, and I think Donner, Donner in Black nailed it. The sequels, I think, got more and further and further away from it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, real um, quick. Real quick. Now, as you know, uh, the podcast I used to have a couple iterations ago of the podcast Mm -hmm. was about action movies. And I'm a huge action movie fan. So obviously Lethal Weapon is right there. But I always get into arguments with people who are big fans of the Lethal Lethal Weapon series because (laughs) I, and I love Joe Pesci, okay, as an actor. But I got to say this. I hate Leo Getz. I hate his character from Lethal Weapon 2 onwards. I hate Leo Getz. I get that he's supposed to be annoying. I get that. I don't find it funny. I find it genuinely annoying to look at as a film goer. I just, you know, okay, 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 okay. They fuck you at the drive through. That whole Leo Getz thing, I just, I think it's a gigantic misfire. <laughs> like, I really, I have a hard time with the Lethal Weapon movies moving forward uh, from the first one, but the first one's so good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I but I mean, I'm the guy that likes Lethal Weapon too, so and uh, the most, because... I, the most? Even more than the first one? Interesting. I can see that, though. Like, I do like yeah. Lethal Weapon too. I just don't like... I just get really annoyed by a lot of the Leo Getz scenes. I, I mean, I get it. I totally do. But I mean, Leo Getz is, you know, pivotal to the story. Whereas he's not really pivotal. In the other, he's not that pivotal, pivotal in the other movies. He's just there to be, you know, Comic the wisecracker. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. yeah the, I, I agree. By the fourth one, they add Chris Rock into the mix. And Chris <laughs> Rock is playing a basically annoying character also like he has more skin in the game in the fourth one because he's he's he impregnated secret, yeah, he's secret, yes he's secretly dating murtaugh's daughter and plans to marry her and has to figure out a way to tell him about it that's there's more to it but by the fourth one there are two annoying characters <laughs> that do not need to be in this movie and and, you know, I don't know. I was always and more every, of a Bruce, a Jackie yeah. Chan guy than a, a, a Jet Li guy. I just, I never got on the Jet Li train. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't care about any of that stuff. But yeah. Um, but, and then you have Rene Russo in this franchise who is just like, you know, fighting for screen time. And um, again, like we were talking about this a little bit before the, the show started is, Renee Russo is a heavy hitter and bringing her on the third one and she doesn't really do much. They're not giving her a lot to do. And she's Renee Russo. She can fucking get shit done. Like, you know, uh, 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 you know, oh, God damn it. What was that movie with her and Gyllenhaal from like five years ago? Nightcrawler. Uh, Nightcrawler. Like, come on, dude. This is Renee Russo. And you're going to have her just being like, that's my crazy boyfriend cop. Like, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not great writing in either film, three or four. 
But I mean, it's, but it's like Donner. I mean, Donner does not want to cut any of these people out in the next movie. He's adding kind of in the same way that Fast and Furious is now. You know, they they don't want to like necessarily cut people out if they don't want to if they can help it. Um, no, and I they want to keep bringing actually, more people. Yeah, go right. Ahead. No, no, I mean, I was, well, I just want to say like I agree, like I respect that. Like, like uh, at the end of the fourth one, at the end of the fourth Lethal Weapon, there the credit sequence is a bunch of photos behind, excuse me, behind the scenes photos and just personal life photos of Donner with, you know, uh, Gibson and, and uh, uh, the Glover and all these people, and they're all hanging out. They're celebrating birthdays with each other. They're laughing together on set, and it's all played to, it starts with, why can't we be friends And by war? And then it goes into, we are family. And I have always really appreciated that credit sequence. I don't even like the fourth one that much, but the fact that it then goes into, it just gives you the feeling this is a family environment. This is the, like, they've done four movies together and apparently they had a really good time and they all really came to respect, admire and love each other. And, you know, I mean, Kayla, you and I both have worked on films and, there is a family environment, hopefully, if it's not just a complete nightmare. There's a family <laughs> environment, which we've all done that too, but there's a family environment that's built up. And the heartbreak of it is that once the movie's done, you know, you kind of move on. You got new projects, you got life, you got kids, job, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, and you move on. And that's kind of the heartbreak of film. Like the, the magic of film is, you know, multifold, you know, you, you know, great shot. Oh my God. Great performance, the camera, the lights, all this stuff. Sure. But it's also, you get to really pull together a bunch of people on a set being like, fuck, let's get this done. I love you. I love you too. Oh, that was a great job. You said that line different. That was so cool. And everybody's like, no dude, the way you, you know, fucking did the sound, whatever it is. And then six months later, it's like, oh yeah, I haven't heard from him in six months. <laughs> like just stuff moves on. And uh, when I was a kid and I saw Lethal Weapon 4's credit se- uh, closing credit sequence, I remember thinking, that's what I want is like a family that's my own. That's not just blood, you know, like a family you make on your own. And that sucks that uh, Richard Donner's dead now, uh, where they're not going to be able to do Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and they're not going to yeah. be able to do Lethal Weapon 5. I mean, if they do, there's so many reasons I just would not want to see that. You've got to have, you got to have Papa at the helm, you know, or Mama, but, you know, it's Papa's gone. Yeah, and on top of that, I mean, like there's no reason to do like I don't think there's any reason to do another one. I think, you know, I, I've I've seen I've witnessed so many reboots and remakes in my day where I'm just like, just let it be, let a cool thing just be its own thing and the thing of its time. You know, let's do new things. You know, I, no, I, I'm 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 with yeah. you, dude. Because also the la- look, <laughs> like let's look at the timeline here. 
the first lethal weapon and then we got i know we got to talk about other richard donners but just to close out lethal weapon all i want to say is this if they made a lethal weapon five say they had shane black write and direct which i mean that that's close to keeping it in you know under the same roof but murtaugh in the opening scenes of lethal weapon one is celebrating his 50th birthday that was 1987, Kale. <laughs> that means he would be 84 years old now. What could At an 84? Yeah, like yeah, exactly. That's if it came out this year, which it wouldn't. So he'd be 85, 86, 87, 90. What would be the point? Yeah, and I mean, Donald Glover is also that age. Like he's close to that age anyway. So yeah, Danny Glover's. He was only, I mean, he was probably 40 when they made it. So, yeah, he's probably 74, 75 now. He's an older man. I mean, it's just, like, I'm sure people would want to see, there. I know people that would love to see the Lethal Weapon 5, regardless. Me too, um, honestly. Me, dude, probably me regardless, but I'm just saying don't do it. You know what I mean? It's like. I mean, we're already know, getting it's, an it's Indiana Jones limping. 5. And he just broke his fucking shoulder like two weeks ago. And it's like, why are you doing this, Harrison? Why is Spielberg? What are we doing? Let's have a new Indiana Jones. And by that, I mean a totally different character, totally different universe, totally original plot. Like, we used to do this. This wasn't that hard. I know. It's it's like we have, we're now stuck in like this purgatory of we're going to just keep watching the same characters again and again you know we're watching I mean, them we're watching them get old and die like what is, this is so dark at this point that we keep doing this with movies i know yeah because i mean we're like what the fourth iteration of spider-man um in the I last know. like 20 years and look i'm not knocking like i saw what was the last spider-man um, um well tom holland's doing it right now so no no no, I, uh, no no no. i meant like what was the last movie last spider-man movie it was oh, the one where he goes up Hall. against that is that the one where he goes up against jake gyllenhaal as like mysterio mysterio yes yes i really enjoyed that but to be honest with you there was a part of me i was like am i really watching another movie and look, I understand comics, okay? And I understand Marvel and DC and all this stuff. I understand how they work. But when I was sitting there, I was like, I'm watching another movie where the plot of the movie is the good guy has to stop the guy from blowing up Earth. And it's like, can we have a movie where it's like, you know, this guy's got a, a stash of jewels he's trying to sneak out of his neighborhood before the local bad guy catches him. Like, like there's many ways to you know, this guy's world is ending, then literally Earth is about to explode. <laughs> but I don't know. Sorry. You know, speaking of comic books, yeah, I always oh, forget. Yeah. I always forget that uh, what you said in the beginning is so true is comic book movies before there's like before Superman and after Superman, whereas most people I think nowadays go with there's before Nolan and after Nolan, but Nolan had to have seen the first Superman. He had to have revisited oh, that for yeah. the Batman scripts. 
Like it's oh, so yeah. It's yeah. like I'm not a Superman fan, but that movie is exceedingly well made. I mean, Nolan's full on admitted in interviews like he's a huge like Donner fan and loves. Oh his really? Yeah, I mean, you, you, no. Every first of all, D- Nolan gets this like reputation of being like a dark, brooding, like pretentious film student. But I mean, mm-hmm. he but he loves like Michael Bay movies. He loves the Fast and Furious franchise. I mean, he his he loves Alien Three. Uh, he actually came out of Alien Three when saying like, "Oh my God, I just witnessed the next uh, Ridley Scott," and it was in David Fincher. You know what's and, funny? He's right. Yeah. He's right. Actually, yeah. that's a really good point. Real quick, I know it's a, a sidebar. Yeah. Is nobody makes films that are, I'm just going to go with like just what you say. Nobody makes films that are as like visually, not, not tongue, but visually as dark as David Fincher and Ridley Scott. Like those movies are mm-hmm. literally darker than movies normally are. Yeah, that's why I like them so much. I think me too. Um, I think me too, man. I agree with you. Uh, but yeah, and so I mean, it's a, I mean, sure. I mean, Nolan used it. I mean, and Nolan's using a bunch of other stuff too for uh, his Batman trilogy. Um, sure. But I mean, but also, I mean, Sam Raimi was heavily influenced by uh, Donner's movies. Uh, even like compare Spider-Man two to Superman 2 like they have very similar plot points oh um, God. you're right they do actually um, even Superman I know Richard Donner didn't do Superman 3 but even Superman 3 and Spider-Man 3 have like a plot point where like the you know the character is fighting like their internal demons so it's a really I mean, interesting point right right yeah so I mean every so I mean Donner in, in it's not just Donner too it's Tom Aikowitz. um like and like they created the template for the superhero genre and then on top of that they had to find Superman they had to find Christopher Reeve and they were so desperate they thought they were gonna have to hire someone's dentist to play Superman um, are you serious <laughs> i'm very like the producer so elia uh, elia Zalkine's wife at the time was like getting her like fillings done and looked up at someone and saw oh my god you're superman and, and they actually called him into a screen test <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like uh the plot of troll it sounds like how they got the guy for troll too who was like a local small town dentist like and, just some kind of rugged like like stupid handsome guy who's like i just fixed teeth <laughs> and what's I even funnier that. is the screen test is that on the blu-ray <laughs> like it's oh, you really? can watch it on yeah you can watch it um how was he how was he and then I mean, the screen think? test the dentist like how, how was the, well you know what i'm gonna say he was not bad for a dentist <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll say this like, he was doing okay i mean the guy who was like reading off of uh to play like reading off the lex luther lines was really good like was much better somebody was like giving it their all yeah well some well someone was given was paid to kind of read luther luther's lines because they already had gene hackman and of course gene hackman's not yeah, gonna line know, read uh, well i mean that'd be how nice but yeah yeah but you know what's funny 
we listed all these great actors that Donner's worked with. And maybe you mentioned this name. I could be wrong, but I feel like Gene Hackman wasn't brought up. And it's like Gene Hackman, dude. Like, look, I, again, not as big a Superman guy as others, but Gene fucking Hackman, dude. Like, to work with him. And, and, and basically, I wonder, did Gene yeah. Hackman, was he, was he down? I mean, I know he played Lex Luthor, but was he down or was it more of like, a, all right, look, this is what, this is the gig. Or do you know what I mean by that? Like, like, because he's, he's great in it. But when I think Gene Hackman, I think Popeye Doyle. I think fucking Mississippi Burning. You know what I mean? I think like these powerhouse Gene Hackman roles, fucking Hoosiers and stuff. So, okay. So full scoop, Hackman did just kind of accept the role, you know, more. And as far as I know, I mean, he was excited to play the character. He was excited to, you know, he wanted to play kind of, you know, but he was kind of looking at it gonna play it like as a cartoon like it's kind of a you know kind of like you know uh like something from the batman show sure like that's what he like, was kind of like how like schumacher and people approached batman which they actually don't have a problem right with. yeah right. but I mean, it's that he was going in that casting and going in that oh. mindset but then donner kind of you know set him down and was like no this is gonna be a more sincere more you know this is gonna feel real yeah this is gonna feel you know kind of you know taught them out of that you know oh sorry go on no no go on sorry and because of that like heckman just fell in love with donner immediately of course there's the (laughs) whole story about the mustache thing but i mean oh uh, yes that's one of the only stories i know about superman is the fucking mustache because you know heckman I mean, we talk about auteurs versus journeymen. And I feel like, remember how earlier I said there was Amy Heckerling was sort of, uh, who I, I'm a huge Amy Heckerling fan, by the way. Same. Like fast, Same. Oh, oh, that's great to hear. Like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Clueless are two of, like, I've said this before, right? Just, just my little crackpot theory here, um, little scoop for the youth Criticians out there. I think personally, right? I think you don't get the editing style for Goodfellas without Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Right. Do you know what I mean by that? Like with the use of pop music, pop music pushing the camera, setting the tone, then the editing style that does fast hyperkinetic editing it had already been done. There had been Kenneth Anger in the 50s and 60s using, you know, uh, semi-pop music and stuff in his, in his films. But I think Amy Heckerling is how you get to Goodfellas Casino, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, essentially, yeah, because... I mean, it's Scorsese was already kind of experimenting with this at the time, so... Of course, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm not discounting what he did with Mean Streets and stuff like that with sound, uh, you know, with, with, with this soundtrack and sound design. But but for Heckerling, I think she was 
Well, I mean, Heckling was just trying to figure out a way to get into the characters' minds. I mean, with the song, you know, she's no, oh God, what's the song where they play every time Jennifer Jason Leigh has sex or has, you know, sex? Oh, I know. Hold on. I I know that I can. The only song in my head, the only song in my head right now is uh, She's Got to Be Somebody. That's it. That's it. That's it. Right. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And the way, like, you know, she she uses it and then cuts, like, you know, as soon as, like, it's over, like, or prematurely over. um, And that's yeah of course that's that you know feeds into you know not just you know scorsese but a lot of 80s and 90s movies so i guess to get back from what i was saying there is amy heckerling and then i'll tie it back amy heckerling is i think both an auteur filmmaker and a journeyman director right or a journey person i guess to be more inclusive right in the sense that She's going to take a gig, but she's going to make it her own, right? Versus I have to be the writer and the director, which you get from like Scorsese's or more specifically Tarantino's. Having said that, I think Gene Hackman is a journeyman auteur hybrid of actors. He was like, he was like, I want roles that are fucking digging deep. I want, I want, you know, French connection type roles. But then somebody brings him Superman and he's like, I'll do this, but you're going to have to meet me halfway here. And what's great about Donner is... um, He did. He did. Yeah, exactly. And I I saw this tweet the other day when the news had broken about his passing. Somebody said that on the set of, or in the running up to in pre-pro, pre-production for Superman that Donner kept talking about verisimilitude, which is the feeling of reality. He kept telling people, no, this is not, this is not the Batman made for TV movie from 68 or whatever. This is, this is not just corny. And I love the Batman show from the 60s, okay? But he was like, we're not doing that. We're going to make this... Yeah, 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 and it's like, yeah, let's make this, let's make this feel contemporary for the 1980s, you know, as a new decade, and you've got, you know, young men and women that they want to put their butts in seats. It's like, well, let's, let's make Metropolis feel like Manhattan. Let's make it feel like an actual newsroom, you know, and I think that's just, I think it was done fantastically well. Absolutely. And I think for, uh, and I think for Donner, first of all, verisimilitude is my favorite like word ever. Um, <laughs> for me too, probably. It, it, it just is like, I use it to describe every kind of movie and like what I'm looking for. Um, but for Donner, you know, he read the original script, which was, you know, super long. I mean, well, first he got a 500 page script from Mario Puzo. Uh, Hold on! Whoa! Stop! The, yes. uh, the Mario Puzo from The Godfather took a pass yes. at a five hundred page pass at the script. Yeah, Mario Puzo <laughs> uh, went to DC. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, the story behind Superman and its development was Elias Alkine 
uh, and his father and his friend, uh, Pierce Bingler, uh, they had just made the Three Musketeer movies uh, for the 70s. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. I remember seeing one of those, actually, in college. Um, yeah, and, 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 and they had just, I mean, just made a whole lot of money off of that. Uh, and they were like, well, let's do something bigger. Let's do something epic and, you know, grand. And they were like, well, let's just, just do Superman. Because Elias Zolkheim was a comics fan. Um, and, and what's more epic than Superman? I mean, you know, I dig that. Yeah. Sure. Um, so Alexander Zolkheim, uh, Elias' father, raised $40 million for a two-picture project. Um, and they hired Mario Puzo because of the Godfather and also Godfather is technically a, in Godfather Godfather Part 2 are technically a two-part story. They, sure. No, of it's course. It's just a right. novel restructured. So they brought Mario Puzo to kind of f- create the bones of the project and if he just comes in with this like 500 page just mammoth screenplay and they <laughs> And they brought in the writers of Bonnie and Clyde, uh, David Newman and Robert Benton to pare it down. And still it was, you know, I mean, it was still like a, a 300, 250 to 300 page script for the two After movies. pairing it, oh, for the two movies. So yeah. let's say 125, 150. God damn, man, that's a big script. Yeah, well, I mean, Mario Puzo was for two pictures. Like, it was for the two-parter, but still, 250 pages per movie. That's way so, too much. Yeah, so and Donner, <laughs> Donner reads the other pared-down script, and it's like, and David Newman and Leslie Newman and Richard or Robert Benton, they wrote this very jokey, very, um, where, like, very self-referential and weaking, uh, where, like, Lois Lane, like, makes it some sort of like only the 70s you would make that kind of reference um and donna was like no we're gonna do we're gonna do a full pay you know full rewrite and on top of this like donna is coming off of the heels of guy hamilton who uh was like the the james bond director at that point sure sure and and guy hamilton had already done his own like pre-production and special effects and whatnot and in long story short so donner comes in and basically has to throw everything away months before they're supposed to start filming <laughs> and start from scratch because everything he saw was just i mean the worst it was absolutely like what, every it was special effect t- scene so it was either it was either too long mario puzo we're gonna make you know like the Citizen Kane twice in a row of Superman movies, <laughs> or yeah. it was gonna be, or it was gonna be, you know, uh, just, just Batman is gonna be Superman running around with a big, you know, circular time bomb, <laughs> like like in the like in the Batman movie, mm-hmm. like oh my god! And see, that's yeah. the thing. Imagine a director getting all these scripts. I mean, Mario Puzo, he wrote The Godfather. Yeah. Right. So like yeah. you've got to respect that, obviously, but it also takes a director with vision to see I'm not going to do this. If I make this big epic three hour thing, 
two of them, what are we doing? Let's make a two hour, well done fucking Superman. Let's, let's, let's embrace what he looks like with his outfit. Like, yes, it's ridiculous. There are parts of it that he leans into the humor of, well, that's Clark Kent, removes his glasses. Holy shit, are you Superman? That is funny. But if you treat it realistic at the same time, you almost With hit sincerity. A, yes, you almost, you almost hit a, a Coen Brothers vibe. Almost. Almost. I don't mean the quirky strangeness of a, of a Coen Brothers, but I mean the, the balancing act of you're respecting the audience because the audience knows that it is ridiculous. We've all known for years. It's ridiculous that he's Superman and then he puts on glasses, shrugs his shoulders a little bit, lets him slump, and then we go, oh, well, that's not Superman, right? That's a joke. We've known that since the 50s with, uh, with George Reeves on the TV show. But Absolutely. But he leans into it in a way where you're like, this is, this is the correct balance for Superman. And get this, they've never done it right since. At least that's my opinion. They've never, they've never struck that correct sense because they keep trying to do Nolan with the Superman. And I don't think you can do gritty fucking Joker style stuff. Like they, they keep trying to do overly gritty while also being a little winking with Superman. And it's like, no, I think it's a more gentle balance that, that uh, Donner's able to strike. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, Donner, to an extent, I mean, he modernized it. I mean, it feels like a 70s movie. Oh, my like, God. Okay, can, can we talk about... Did you see this going around on Twitter? Somebody was showing... I know I keep bringing up Twitter, but that's where I just... I, I just got into film Twitter heavy with the Donner with Donner's passing, but somebody was sharing that two-minute single shot of... It's the end of the business day at the at the uh, at the uh, the bugle, and the, the bugle. Planet, planet, thank planet. you, the bugle. That's fucking Spider Man. But uh, at the planet, thank you. And uh, uh, Lois Lane's leaving, and you've got awkward Clark, Clark Kent trying to. He's just trying to ask her out on a date. He's trying to say, "Hey, did you ever want to go get a cup of coffee?" or whatever he's trying to say to her. And. It's one single shot. It's two minutes long. It has a lot of information happening in it. A lot of information mm-hmm. happening in that shot. And yet it's such a simple scene. In fact, I could see everybody, including the DP, being like, can we just break this down into four shots? And him going, I really like this being a single shot. It's his little auteur moment, I personally think. Because he's like, no, I want to... I want to let, because he sits you in the racing heartbeat, wet palms anxiety of asking someone out on a date and it not working. And then he winds up standing at the elevators, awkward, dejected, defeated, and he just gets on the elevator. It's a, it's a masterclass in filmmaking. Like, I adore that shot. I'm, oh God, I adore that shot. Yeah, it's all and it's all rooted in character. And on top of that, you don't even notice it when you watch it. Um, no, you, you're so right. It's one of those things where at the end, if, if you're paying even the slightest amount of attention to like 
filmmaking stuff like that, which you do not have to, obviously. But like, if you're a nerd like us, where you're like, at the end of that shot, you're like, was that one shot? And you're like, there's no way that was one shot, right? And it's like, no, that was one shot. <laughs> and it's, it's just yeah. cool little stuff like that. You don't need it. It would have been just as verisimilitude without it, but it just works. That's my favorite part about filmmaking is when you strike that balance between, look, this is a simple conversation between two people. We're going to do over the shoulder shots or do a couple single takes. And then that moment where you're like, you know, we've been doing that for all of the simple conversations for this one. I don't know. I want to get a little yeah. gluttonous, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it also just change it up a bit. You know, I mean, you don't have to do everything shot, shot, reverse, shot, reverse, shot, right. that kind of way. So, you know, like most movies now are just shot, reverse, shot, shot. Yeah, it's, it's even just saying it just sounds boring. And, and no, I'm not even purposely right. doing that. No, 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 you're right, though. And with a lot of films now, the reason they go with just, let's just go shot, reverse, shot, reverse, shot is because you're like look the complicated stuff is all taking place at you know on a green screen at pinewood and nothing against green screen i'm not some purist though i am a john carpenter guy and the rick baker fan so it's like why can't we have fucking puppets again but whatever um but yeah. <laughs> i always have to get that shot at sorry i just i i whatever anyways yeah. <laughs> like the fact that they have this little again it's the, the way i think about it is like a lot of superman is hey we're eating turkey burgers i had a salad last night i've been doing sit-ups and push-ups and then that two minute sequence is like i've been good this week let's have a cheat day <laughs> let's eat let's eat you know Let's eat blueberry pie. Let's have some fucking, you know, ice cream. Let's drink five beers. Eat let's drink Twinkies. a Sprite. Let's get, let's chub up a little bit here because it's so worth it, you know? And I adore every single aspect of, of, of that shot in particular. And it's a great movie for so many other reasons, but... You know, you talk about, you know, we were talking about leaning into the humor while also not being, you know, Gen X millennial level ironic about it. Like he goes to the telephone booth in the movie. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's one moment in the movie where when he first comes out of the um, spinning doors and, you know, the guy is like bad outfit. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the one moment, but it just comes and goes. Like, you could blink and it would be gone and miss it. A hundred percent. Yeah. But yeah, but you know, one of the things I should mention about Superman and even Superman 2 to an extent, Donner fought every day for both movies. I mean, the reason why, even the Lester cut you know it, all the stuff that's in the lester cut the reason why it's as good as it is and is because of donner because donner and mankiewicz they literally had to fight for every story element because the producers like when she, like they were running out of money and i mean running out of money wow. uh like they 
uh the producers were like can we please like figure something out like can we please like i mean because i mean they were getting furious with donner because don because i mean a they were running over budget and b they were running over schedule and this is and i should mention to viewers this is the time where directors did go over budget go over schedule uh i mean it wasn't like some random like oh no poor donner like donner did it again no <laughs> I mean, spielberg <laughs> spielberg did it with jaws and close encounters um and also spielberg was gonna was also offered to direct superman um and look he would have done a fine job but I really like what Donner did, and so I can't see it any other way. Yeah, the only reason he didn't was because uh, a the Zalkinds wanted to wait uh, to see like if his little sh- you know fish movie, you know what I'm referencing <laughs> to, if his little that's what the, the exact quote was, his little fish <laughs> movie would do well. And then um, by the time like Jaws became a worldwide phenomenon, he had already um been contractually obligated to do close encounters uh and of course sony was not gonna let that you know go to waste <laughs> no um, why why what, exactly especially yeah i exactly yeah. even you know, though close encounters also almost bankrupt Clo- uh sony Pit- or columbia pictures that was back during the era where the studio system in the late 60s you know, I'm sure your audience knows this, but in the late 60s, <clears throat> the audience was like, uh, excuse me, the studios were like, we don't know what a hit movie is anymore. We just made Paint Your Wagon, a Western musical that everyone hates. So let's just see what these goofy little hippie directors can do. And then you start getting these masterpieces and in the some of them massive crossover hits you know obviously the godfather and stuff Night like Rider, that uh, Night, uh easy writer oh right 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 easy writer jeez um hey night writer's fun yeah <laughs> that was the easy writer <laughs> but yeah, yeah easy writer they started the being like the exorcist exactly they started being like okay these shaggy headed white guys are doing good i guess you know um uh, at the expense of a lot of great films made by you know melvin van Van peebles and all that stuff but that's another different conversation that apparently we're still having in this in this industry but yeah um you start getting all of these films so they were like okay uh spielberg okay the new guy's running our budget into the ground. It's like, well, the fish movie was ahead, so let's just see what happens, I guess. You know. Yeah, and then, I mean, Lucas did the same thing. I mean, it's not just, you know, Spielberg. I mean, it's Lucas, freaking, I mean, Fritkin had, you know, before Superman, while Superman was in production, had almost bankrupt both Universal and Paramount. Oh, with, with um... Uh, or with uh, Sorcerer. Sorcerer, right? Yeah. And obviously, you've got Michael Cimini at the same time with was it Heaven's Gate or whatever it's called? Cimino, yeah. Uh, who almost bankrupt United Artists? I, he no, pretty he much did. did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He bankrupted them. I mean, not him 
single-handedly, but people, everybody involved in that film. And the other thing is, is United Artists was was a, a, basically a director writer. Uh, a, a, they were a heaven. Know, they were. Yeah, it was a safe. They haven. were. Yeah, you know. But but, I mean, United <laughs> but Artists. But yeah, I mean, but, well, I mean, there's more to. And one day we'll do a Chimino um, podcast. I'm sure we'll do a Chimino thing. Um, oh yeah, because he I, I, honestly he's all he's also dead, but. Yeah, yeah, true. But his career was ran into the ground, and I think in a very unfair fashion, because he made some great movies. But um, but yeah, to to get back to Donner, I, I if you don't mind jumping, I just I gotta say, yeah, the biggest one for me in terms of Richard Donner. And it has to do with Spielberg, so obviously is 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 the Goonies and mm-hmm. the Goonies. <clears throat> I love Stand by Me, right? I think Stand by Me is a fantastic coming of age story. It's a Stephen King adaptation from The Body. Yeah, it's fantastic. The Goonies, one of my favorite movies had, ever made. Me too. And the Goonies is actually messier, and and there's things you can. I just got to say, The Goonies means more to me than Stand By Me. And, and it's for one real reason is, is it's, it's so fantastical. It's so, it's so, it has, it touches so much magic that like Stand By Me, because these two are often compared and contrasted. And Stand by Me, I think, is probably a more it's a more succinct story. It's a it's a tighter film. I I, I actually I mean, I you know, Rob Reiner, probably he might have even done a better job with the child actors in it. Well, I think he even got luckier because, you know, this Mm. how I how Rob Reiner because I mean, Rob Reiner not only casted everyone like down to the T. But also, I mean, the way the film ends and where we know everybody goes. (laughs) Which is such, it's such a bummer. It is, but it makes the film hit even harder. It does. And Um, it has one of my favorite closing lines in any film is, and I'm going to butcher it, of course. So, I mean, not verbatim, but it's along the lines of, uh, I never... I never had friends like I did when I was 12. Christ, does anybody? And that, I mean, just saying it just now, goosebumps. I mean, it's such a fantastic closing line. But Goonies is like, it's like. It's, we're it's, all having fun. We're all having, yes, you know, a good time. Yes. And it's also, it's pulpier. It's, it takes some weird chances, some weird, wild swings, like, you know... Uh, 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 the Italian uh, family that murders people. Oh, the Fratellis. Oh, my God. Mama Fratelli. What, what, that actress, she was in... Uh, she was in uh, Throw Mama from the Train. Uh, yeah, she was in a bunch of stuff. And... Then she died, I think, sometime in the 90s. But she was always fantastic. She's so good. But you also have Joe Pantoliano 
as one of the brothers and he's and i love joey pants he's one of my favorite character actors um i mean okay i got one for you though have you ever seen joey pants in uh in uh have you ever seen midnight run no i've not i've not seen i've heard of it but i know what it is kale i say this to you now i think we should do because it's one of my all-time favorite films. I would love if you saw that movie and we did this again anytime you want and we talked about it because I guarantee you will adore it. I'm serious. Like, like okay. <clears throat> I don't say this often about films because people have their different opinions, but I bet you you'll love Midnight Run. Okay. No problem. I'll put it on the, uh, I'll put it on the docket. Put it on the docket uh, whenever you want to get to it, but um but yeah no. the goonies the goonies has i mean dude when i was a kid i was chunks right i was i was i were was chunky oh oh yeah oh absolutely the reason i run and stuff now is totally body dysmorphia from when i was a kid i swear to you because i was the fat kid i got made fun of a lot for it um a lot bullied all that kind of stuff and you know you look for like in that era, I had Chris Farley to look up to because I was like, well, he's fat and he's funny as shit. And he's got a lot of heart, like a lot of heart. Chris Farley probably has the most heart of anybody who ever lived. And mm-hmm. when it comes to kid movies, it was chunk. It was chunks, man. Like I, I was, I was, you know, he, he dressed goofy. He was a loud mouth, but his, his heart was in the right place. He's able to get sloth and you realize that like the only person he could truly identify with was sloth. And the only person sloth could truly identify with was chunks. And that, you know, it's, it's ice cream and, and, they're and, baby able to, Ruth. and baby Ruth's and they're able to joke with each other and they get each other. And before you know it, sloth is the hero of the movie. And because of that, so is chunks. And like, you know, in an age of like body positivity and don't fat shame and all this stuff, look at Chunks, man. Look at Chunks. He's, He's the a hero of the bad- movie. Fuck yeah, he is. He's the fucking badass who, you know, at first he has to do the chunk dance to be able to get into their house and stuff. They're all laughing at him and stuff, you know. Yeah, okay, mouth. Him- yeah, mouth. Yeah, mouth. You're yep. just an ass. You're just a dirtbag. He's just a dick. He's a dick. He grew up to, you know, be Corey Feldman. And look, Corey Feldman's got a lot of pain in his past. And I also really enjoy Corey Feldman as an actor. Uh, but uh, as a child actor, especially. But, but Chunks, man. And also the real life Chunks. That motherfucker grew up to be like some successful attorney. Hopefully on the good side of cases. I don't know. But, you know, he, he, I love the, 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 the thing that touched me the most for that movie is the hero of the movie. The two heroes. You have Chunks and you got Sloth. Sloth, who was, I don't know, he's not the prettiest guy in the room. <laughs> like, he's definitely got some B-movie, you know, trauma-level uh, toxic Avenger problems. But oh, yeah. he winds up... But hey, you guys, like he's just a fucking sweetheart who's here to help and save the day. Him and Chunks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so side story, uh, the actor who played Chunks, um, worked for Donner, uh, like 10 years later in the nineties, uh, as like a production assistant. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And his, and I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he was saying like, you know, his acting career was kind of, you know, you know, it was kind of petering out and he was kind of wanting to do other stuff too. Um, and Donner, and so he asked Donner uh, if he would write a letter of recommendation to college. He was like, sure, just like put a list, like kind of make a little summary of things I, you know, should say. And he sent that to Donner and then both um, Dick and uh, his wife, Lauren Shirley Donner, uh, both said, you, um, we're just going to go ahead and pay for your college. Get the fuck out of my face. Are you serious? Yes. The story, it just got published. Like, so it just got published in Variety today, I think. Again, sorry. I, sorry, I cannot remember the actor's name. But yeah, it, that was um, like his like kind of, you know, Variety mm. piece. Oh, that makes he, me tear up, man. That's that's really gorgeous. Yeah. And, and, and even the actor said, like, they did not have to do that. Like, I was pretty much, like, I was set to... I could have paid it for myself, but it was just something they just did. Like, it was just something, like, he did because he just loved everybody. Like, he just, you know, (laughs) he cared about people so much. What a good dude. Jesus, man, that's amazing. I mean, this is the same guy who told a a busboy, you know, what are you doing here? You know, you're supposed to be at your kid's ball game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go, go take the day go take the afternoon off you know and watch your your kid needs you more than i need you oh man um <laughs> yeah i mean there's hundreds of stories like that i mean spielberg has said something um of course and uh, well through you know amblin like he posted a statement through amblin sure. um i bet he did man and yeah i mean just every like a lot of people you know, and I, and honestly, if Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder were here, they would, I mean, write hundreds of variety eulogy pieces. You know, especially Kidder, because Kidder loved Donner. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> after the past few years of everything that's come to light about Hollywood, you know, it's really good. It's, 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 refreshing isn't strong enough a term it's 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 you know delightful reinvigorating yeah delightful when you hear stories about a big time filmmaker who gave a shit when he did not have to because he's just a good dude fuck yeah man more of that you know like not only were his films like you know, talk to anybody our age, the Goonies, you know, between, I'd say, 28 and 42 years old. The Goonies was central to a lot of people's childhoods and and a lot of his other movies, too, like Radio Flyer and stuff. But the fact that somebody could be that big hearted also, it's just, you know, it sucks when you you love a filmmaker or any artist and you find out they were also kind of a prick or they were, they were mean or God forbid, even worse, you know, and then you find out 
don't know, just how good a dude he is makes your head hit the pillow a little softer. Yeah, well, it, you know, it just, you know, it's just been this way all week. We're recording this on Thursday, guys. And it happened either Sunday night or Monday morning when the news hit. Um, I mean, just every day something great has come out about Donner and just how incredible he was. <laughs> I mean, there's even stories. I mean, Jeff Johns, the head of, you know, DC Development um, was like, you know, hey, like this guy, like when my sister died in, uh, in a plane crash, uh, this guy let me go out, go and have, you know, a few, go and, go and attend the funeral and grieve, you know, with my yeah. family. So, um, I mean, there's, you know, and also, I mean, he gave, it's not only just like, you know, these great stories, but he gave like people like Kevin Feige the first like producing job. I mean, he Kevin Feige's first like IMDb gig is being an associate producer on X Men. Oh, that's he, awesome! And now he runs Marvel Studios. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's not much. Michael and I could go on for hours and hours and hours. I mean, we could talk about Scrooge and how like that was a complete like cluster, you know, cluster screw of a production. Um, <laughs> And they still somehow came out with a holiday classic. It is. Uh, look, I'll just real quick. I know we're wrapping it up, but but like another movie huge for me is Scrooge. Like the fact that anybody who's able to get um, uh, that cast together, like we've just got all these, like you know, uh, oh god. What is her name? Carol, um, Carolyn, Gardermit. Hold on, give me a sec. Um, wait, is this one of the ghosts? Yes, she's the ghost of Christmas. Carol Kane. Uh, Carol Kane is absolutely a psychopath. She is probably the funniest actor I've ever seen in anything. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, like even bad, like, not-so-good movies, like Transylvania 6-5000, which is not that good. But she, and obviously from Taxi, the TV show and stuff like that, like, she, she is one of the funniest human beings who has ever lived, and she is so violent and, and manic and insane in that movie. <laughs> I adore her. But, like, yeah, Richard Donner, you're right. We could go on forever, and I don't want to do it either. I mean, we could, but let's, let's let's give them a break. But oh, there's so many movies that we didn't even talk to the Omen. So many movies for people to go check out if they haven't seen it already, or go rewatch. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to ask you this: What is Donner? What's a Donner movie that you think is? I don't want to know. I don't want to say underrated, but just kind of like never gets enough attention. Hmm. 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 I have mine, but it's not movie. But it's not a movie. It's a uh, TV show. Like some of that, I want people. Let's to see. Okay, okay. Let me think about this for a second. <sighs> Sixteen blocks. His last movie. His last movie. His last movie. I think it's. Um, 
it's a fantastic it's a really it's a real i think it's a really well-made movie there were a lot similar ones you know inside man and stuff like that by spike lee came out around the same time and stuff but he gets i think one of my favorite bruce willis performances um most deaf is just fucking great in it but bruce willis captures the 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 defeat of a life of alcoholism so gut-wrenchingly in that film it's it's and at times it doesn't even feel like richard donner which is great about a journeyman director but yeah i i absolutely adore 16 blocks and i wish more people talked about that film when they talk about donner or bruce willis <clears throat> love it mm-hmm. that'd be mine uh- Okay, um, I'm going to go ahead. So please watch, um, if you're going with Donner, please watch his Twilight Zone episodes. Like you can see a director coming into form. You know, I know he did direct the the fame, probably with the most famous Twilight Zone episode, the 20,000, or Nightmare at 20,000 Thief. I think that's what it's called. With, oh my god! Uh, with with uh, with uh, the, the one they remade, um, Captain Kirk, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's someone on the wing. Something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he directed that episode. Yeah, I'm almost positive. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get to his TV stuff. Oh, that's um, fucking great! If he did, man. Yeah, because he did six episodes of Twilight Zone. Holy um, shit, did he also directed the episode? I didn't realize how big his TV career was beforehand. Holy shit, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he directed the Banana Splits. He directed Get Smart a couple episodes. Uh, Perry Mace and Gilligan's Island. Oh, he did Danger Island. Uh, he did the, like, you know, speaking of, like, you know, swashbuckling, like, you know, fantastical. He did the uh, Danger Island segments of Banana Splits. Uh, That's which, so I mean, cool. funny. Oh, oh, he yeah. also did The Rifleman. The Rifleman was, that was a big show in my house growing up, but it's an old black and white Western from the early 60s or the, yeah, early 60s. And my dad used to watch it all the time. Holy cow, man. He was around for years. I was talking to a friend who I said, Richard Donner died. And he was like, what did he do? And I was like, he directed The Goonies. And he was like, oh, so he was like a Spielberg uh, uh, wannabe. And I was like, no, 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 no. The guy, the guy's 91. <laughs> like he, he was around long before Spielberg. Oh yeah. He's been directing since Spielberg uh, was a was, puppy. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I know I didn't realize, um, now that I'm looking at his television credits, his first, he wrote four episodes for The Men of Annapolis, which I don't know what that was, but that was his first gig in TV. It was 1957, dude. Wow. That guy was around since the beginning of television, pretty much. Basically, I mean, and he, I mean, he's, yeah, I mean, Donner just... 
we can't say how influential Donner has been and how, I mean, he just, how huge he was to, you know, filmmaking and television. And, you know, and yeah, we'll just, yeah, The Omen too. I mean, very, also very fraught production because that production just had like so many instances, incidents on set. Um, Yeah, like it was, but I mean, also there were very creative shots. You remember how they did, so do you not, I know we're wrapping up, but for Donner, so the Omen, you know how there's that shot of Damien, like he like knocks his mom off the ledge and she falls. Oh, sure. So do you know how they accomplished that shot? No. So they did a bunch of inserts of like throwing, like of course, you know, the the, the fishbowl. Oh yeah, right, right, right. They've and then they, you know, like with little bitty nails, like you know, put the fish on this wall. But so if so, they shot it like you know as you would like they you would shoot towards a wall, right? Right, right. Do you do you yeah. What they did for the actress shot was they just made her, you know, stand up while she's falling and turn and then just land. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so it's just like trick photography. Yeah, it's just trick photography. See, that's that old school stuff that that's my favorite part of filmmaking is when it's like, yeah. how did they do that? Versus love a lot of CGI when it's done mm-hmm. right, of course. But there's plenty and, of times where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll just do that CG, of course. And the, the, they're, back then, they didn't have the option. They were like, I want a cool shot here. How do we do this effect? That's so cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's stuff all around like that. I mean, the head decapitation scene is just multiple different, like, dummies <laughs> and cuts. And I love... I, I, I showed a friend uh, about five years ago the omen during a halloween you know marathon night type thing and uh he was like you can see that that's a that's such a fake head right because i mean look you're watching it on an hd tv in 2017 or whatever mm-hmm. it's so much easier to see the fake but i was like what do you care look how free because like like everybody else in the room when the decapitation happens, seeing it for the first time, seeing it a million times doesn't matter. We all go, oh, oh God, it's just so jarring, you know? Well, it's, it's, it's expertly timed, I think. And it's just so creepy. Like, like how, like, in the context of the movie, it's so, like, it just adds to the creep factor of it. Like, none of these people can escape. Like, they're not even, like, they're all trying to kill Damien, but they're not, like, actually, like, the perpetrator. But even then, like these supernatural like elements are happening that's causing their death. Yeah, and you know what's funny is, and I think I had just heard, you know, Tarantino's making the rounds right now on media because he's got the novelization of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Which I bought the book and I'm reading, by the way, because I was, I was a huge fan of the movie. I thought it was finally something... Hey, Definitely it's Tarantino. Movie. It's a film. It's, excuse me. You're right. It's a film. <laughs> the film. But it's 
I really enjoyed the movie because I had kind of grown tired of Tarantino just trying to do spaghetti westerns over and over. And, uh-huh. and for once, it felt like he was doing a Tarantino movie. There's no mistaking who made it, obviously. But it just, I loved the vibe of it, right? Like, I really liked the hangout of it. Some people don't. I get it. I did. Anyways, I'm reading the book, and the book is classic. I like the book. I'm having a lot of fun reading it. But if you have ever read a novelization and when we were kids, they still did novelizations all the time. Right. And uh, uh, it has both the greatness of a good novelization where you're like, hey, this is expanding on the movie in fun ways. And it also has the this isn't the best <laughs> book I've ever read, mm-hmm. which is fine. Who the fuck? I'm not you know, I'm not selfish like that. It's, it's okay. I'm enjoying the book, I guess, is what my, my review is. It's good, but it's a novelization and it doesn't let you forget it. Anyways, I saw him talking about how, uh, I don't know, his interview with Joe Rogan or, or Mark Maron, some big podcast he was on, where he was talking about how when The Omen originally came out, you didn't know that Damien was was or was not the uh, spawn of Satan. You didn't know that, right? The whole time you're watching it, you're, because we all know now, even before I ever saw The Omen, we all know Damien, you know, this is for you, Damien. He's the, you know, the devil spawn. But when people were first watching it, there was a mystery element that is absolutely there where it's like, is Gregory Peck just kind of losing his mind or is that kid actually the spawn of Satan? And I wish I could watch it with fresh eyes because that's something that Donner is absolutely, it's absolutely there. It's just, you know, the ending now, right? Mm -hmm. From pop culture. Oh yeah, we know like, yeah, the plot twist and all that, you know? Yeah, or the 666 on the back of the head and the mark of the beast golly that movie is so creepy um, i know it's so good this guy directed that too and 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 followed up with superman that's what you yeah, think about that that you want to talk about like okay forget about the auteur versus journeyman uh uh filmmaker debate that will go on for as long as there are films and then for another thousand years forget that part one of my favorite things a director or directors can do in general is changing it the fuck up right like like you know yeah like where you can go from one of the great horror classics right it's not in my top 10 personally but i understand if that's somebody's number one because that is a fantastic fucking horror film and to go from that something that shook people to their core in the 70s like like people were some people were more uh, fucked up by that movie than they were the exorcist like the people forget the omen was crazy <laughs> like like you know mm-hmm. and, and to go from that to making oh just gee golly i i, oh, I just i really wish lois lane would go out on a date you know what i mean to, to the gentle humor of superman and then to go only six, seven years later 
to a movie where Mel Gibson's completely naked and has a gun in his mouth. <laughs> like, like he had a varied career that was so damned enjoyable. Absolutely. And on top of that, you know, the funny part is the only reason he got offered Superman was because the Omen was number one the weekend they had lost Guy Hamilton for Superman. And they were like, really? let's just get him. Let's just get Donner. Let's just get him. Really? That's what? That's it. Always, that's all timing, they did. That's really. Dude, timing is so fucking funny in, in, in life. But, you know, in, in film, that is that is so fucking great. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, that's how I mean, that's how far they got with Hamilton is that, you know, because the problem with Hamilton was he couldn't film in England. He couldn't because of a tax issue. Um, sure. And Marlon Brando, and they couldn't film in Italy. That was the other option because Marlon Brando was basically banned from Italy because of uh, that oh, movie um, he um, made, yeah, Last Hang um, on uh, Paris. Last Hang on Paris. They were like, no, he's too creepy. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> So they were like, um, I guess we're gonna lose Hamilton. And then just Richard Donner's movie was just number one. Now he was Again, banned. Like, that's yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. How everything just lines up perfectly. <laughs> that's good. I mean, dude, look, I'll be the first to admit, with regards to his other films. I never saw, let me, just real quick as we wrap up. I know it's a long wrap up, but oh my God, this is so <laughs> enjoyable. Just because seriously, Richard Donner, I'm talking like only four or five films of his are my favorites, but I just, like he made some stinkers and I think these are actually interesting is he made The Toy, which is genuinely not a good movie. It is legitimately not a good movie. Um it don't look it's like, like a movie. It's not. It's not. I saw it when I was a kid, and then I was like, "Well, I was a kid." So I rewatched it about three years ago, and I was like, "Oh no, this is bad." It's Richard Pryor, and he's not even allowed to be Richard Pryor. Like it's not even Brewster's Millions. Like like Richard Pryor trying to be uh, accessible to everybody, but you know, mm-hmm. Maverick. I I've heard that that's a good movie. I didn't see the original show. Remember, it was based on a TV show from the 60s with James Garner about mm-hmm. a card cheat, and I never saw that. But I've heard it was good. Um, I've seen bits and pieces over the years, but he did make one of the all-time not really a good movie at all movies, and it's Assassins. Assassins is bad. <laughs> like, ask any action movie fan, Ask an Antonio Banderas fan. Ask Antonio Banderas. They'll all tell you that's not a good movie. I'm sure Richard Donner brought his level best to it, but Assassins is legit a big pile of poopy. Which is so, um, which is sad because I mean, that's the first like Wachowski's thing ever. And you're right. You know, I'm looking at the IMDb of it right now. It's written by Brian Heglin. Uh, who's written such great classics as um, Nightmare on Street uh, Four? Oh, that was uh, oh really? That's a, I really enjoy that one. It was Rennie Harlan directed that. Yes, uh, he did uh, L.A. Confidential. 
Um, oh, dude, I just rewatched that last week. That is a flat out masterpiece. Oh, yeah. I mean, Brian Hagland also is a good writer, but I mean, there's only so much you can do before the movies. You, you can't, pol- you can only polish a turd so much. And I'm yeah, saying that. Yeah, good. Sorry, good. Well, I mean, no, look, the Wachowskis, I'm, I'm sort of, I go halfway. Like with the Wachowskis, I feel, look, I love the first Matrix. And the Matrix is the first time I realized I'm really bad at the idea of sequels. When I saw the first Matrix, was it 99? blew my mind i was like this is the greatest Mm -hmm. thing i probably ever have seen right i love still love that movie it's fantastic and when it ends with uh neo on the phone he's like we're gonna reveal all about you you're gonna you're done your days are numbered mr matrix right and he flies off into the sky cuts to black i was like fuck yeah and i genuinely thought what a great ending it was kind of open-ended what a great ending and we'll never revisit that. How cool. <laughs> and of course, two more movies are made. They're, j- I don't like them. Uh, I don't think it's a good trilogy, but that first one is so fucking good. Um, and I feel like the Wachowskis, I just, I feel like they always want to do something that's fucking James Cameron level crazy good. And I feel like they've done it with the first matrix but i don't really dig i mean bound was pretty cool talking about joey joe pantaleano and uh jennifer tilly and gina gershon that's a that's a that's i mean it's not my type of thing i'd be into is watching lesbian lovers but it's a fantastic like debut crime picture that i really dug but other than that i didn't like What's that one with Tom Hanks, that really weird one? Oh, Cloud Atlas, that's a good movie. I, you know, maybe I got to rewatch it. I don't know. And I, I certainly don't want to dump it's on It's not them, everyone's cup of tea. I'll give everyone that. It's not everyone's cup of tea. But I, I, I think I like it, the idea of it more than the film itself. I think I know what you mean there. Because the idea excited me. I saw the trailer, heard about what it was basically doing. I don't know. I just, I don't know. It might be Tom Hanks in it because I love Tom Hanks and I don't like seeing him in weird stuff at this point because I'm so used to him being in straightforward Tom Hanksy movies. I don't know. Maybe I got to revisit. I could be wrong, but I'm sort of um, iffy on them as, as filmmakers. But dude, The Matrix is legit one of the best action movies I've ever, and sci-fi that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, and I never, and I didn't, I didn't get to see uh, Jupiter Ascending or Sense Eight, but yeah, you know. And then for Donner, going back to Donner, he, did you ever see uh, his Crichton adaptation of Timeline? No, I, I never either. So I was just wondering, yeah, because I have nothing to say on Timeline or uh, conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay, well, conspiracy theory, um. Uh, look, all I'm going to say, conspiracy theory goes for some really interesting stuff. And I think it's worthy of people watching, but I don't think it hangs together as a good movie. Like, like Mel Gibson is 
trying for something. Everybody's trying for something in it. I just don't, it just, it's, they don't stick the landing and he plays too damaged a character. Like he plays such a damaged character that you're just like, what's happening here? But it's interesting. I think it's an interesting movie. And it's probably more interesting nowadays that like, you know, uh, people believe in so many weird conspiracy stuff. It might even be more interesting now than it was then. But that's kind of a misfire too. But it's a, it's a grand one. Like I, I do respect him for uh, Donner for going for, like he goes for it with conspiracy theory. It just gets a little muddy. Okay. All right. Um, and then we talked about radio flyer. Did you see Lady Hawk? Let me check that real quick before I can give you an answer. I don't think so, but just one second. I just want to make I sure. Also, yeah, I also haven't seen it, but a lot of people have. It's been coming back, making the rounds. Well, let me see. Let me see. Lady Hawk. Okay. Oh, Mank worked on that too. Matthew Broderick. No, no. No, I don't think I know. This. No, I do not know this one. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's so. I mean, apparently, this is one of the like last Laddie films or Lad Junior <laughs> productions of that made like the right stuff and Blade Runner, Looker. Ugh, the right uh, stuff. Jesus. Okay, that's a yeah. that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I love that movie. Mm-hmm. And it got, and so the reason why it came out the same year as The Goonies, even though it had been finished, is because it was part of the Lad Company. And oh, so it sat uh, on hot ice for a while. Yeah, right. it, it was made right after the toy. Like it was, uh, like it was greenlit just as either before or right at the time the toy was getting released. But you know, oh, so what was that? Eighty two. Yeah. Jeez. And and they probably finished it around 84 and then of course Donner was like, um, I'm gonna go ahead and do the Goonies while they wait to release Lady Hawk. You know, it's funny, I just I, I was looking up James Franco the other night because hold on, oh, geez. hold on. No, hold on, hold on, no, hold on. I was looking him up because I was sitting around and I remembered. Uh, the disaster artist and I was like you know that was a that, that was the first movie I saw with James Franco where I was like hey maybe he's all right I really like this and then he turned out he's a perv and a you know freak and all that stuff but I was sitting around I was like what is he up to because I know Kevin's I'm gonna mention another awful name because I know Kevin Spacey is trying to come back with some Italian film and I was like is this the year of the Me Too guys trying to come back? And I looked up James Franco, and he had directed, you know, probably another one of his not good movies um, back in like 2017, 2018, just before the allegations about him came out. And it's just, it's got like Tim Blake Nelson. It's got all these great actors in it. And it still hasn't been released. And it's like, oh, well, that movie's never going to come out. Because, I mean, how do you work around the James Franco of it all? No, no. and look, man, I bet you if, it, if they ever did just try and quietly release it on VOD or something, people, even the actors in it would probably be like, hey, look, I, please just don't release it. <laughs> like, 
but I just Please feel take bad. Take my name off of it. Yeah, because you want a credit, especially if you're an up and coming actor. But do you want it attached to some pervy weirdo that, like, you know, even Seth Rogen recently was like, I want nothing to do with them. But sorry, I didn't mean to drop these awful names in the middle of this. It's just you're talking about a movie kind of sitting around for a couple of years, and it reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, is there any more to say? What's the final <laughs> word on Donner? I want to say I'm sorry for bringing all of that up in the last minutes. Um, Richard oh. Donner is honestly, I think, besides Spielberg, one of the first names that I ever actually was able to attach to the name to the term director and next to Spielberg I think he's he owns a lot of real estate for my 80s 90s childhood um I think he had a lot of heart and every story I've ever read about him was about how he was a real mensch just like a good dude and um I know he was 91 so I I I I, I I'm not shocked at his passing but you know when your your heroes and stuff start getting up in that age you start just yeah you hope that i i just hope by the end of it he was like i had a good life and he went okay he went out okay i guess you know but i would say watch all of his movies even like you know even assassins <laughs> just just watch his movies this is a guy who he lived a life and he made movies you know and that's really cool yeah, I think my final word is Donner was one of the good ones. I mean, as of this recording, there's not, there's no like horror story or anything um, pertaining to him per- particularly. And on top of that, you know, everyone, you know, every, his movies might not have all been hits. And, and, and Donner has definitely attached himself to projects that definitely were not good movies but with that said i mean donner along with spielberg along with a whole list of other filmmakers um i mean he was a part of a lot of people's childhood and he was a part of you know and he was respected um and you know when people you know saw his name as an executive producer credit on x-men that like gave a lot of gravitas to the very first like marvel movie like not not you know of course there's blade but you know the first like marvel movie that really like oh made everyone turn heads yeah this could be a thing you know that was that was a stamp yeah yeah, that was that was a quality stamp man that said this this mm -hmm. this you should expect good things from this yeah, I mean, it, it sure, his wife, Lauren Shirley Donner, who's a great producer on her own, in her own right, uh, not to take anything away from her. Um, sure. And, you know, sh- and uh, you just, yeah, you just can't, like, make, you know, I mean, with that, you just can't, like, you know, have that kind of name and then bring, you know, and just kind of have that respect and, without so much, you know, work and talent and effort put behind the camera. 
um, and love. I mean, like people loved working with the, the Donners and yeah, I, it's, it's gonna, it's a sad, it's a sad loss. We have lost a great director. Yes, I understand he hasn't directed in 15 years, but my God, I mean, still like he's been a part of, you know, filmmaking for us and, and, and he's been through everything, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm speechless and I'm glad that this was more of a celebration than just us like crying for an hour and a half. <laughs> um, sure, yeah, that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been, it would have been oh, earned, God. but it wouldn't have been, uh, I, I, you know, that's, that's a private affair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and look, yeah, I love Donner. I loved Richard Donner. And I hope for the best. You know, um, my heart goes to Lauren Schiller Donner um, and, and their family. And um, yeah, I mean, great film. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, one but, of the, no, I mean, one of the best. I didn't mean to cut you off. It was just, I, I'm with you. I think, yeah, my heart goes out to his family, you know, and, you know, he was just, he was one of the, he was one of the, you know, he's one of the best who did it. I mean, and just think about this. He didn't make 30 films. He didn't make a movie a year or anything like that. And he had made a movie in 15, but he redefined horror with The Omen. He redefined superhero films. He redefined action films. He, the guy contributed so much to, uh, to you know film and um i appreciate all of the you know i appreciate you having me on just to just to i wanted to be able to just kind of talk about the guy for a while you know more than anything yeah. yeah i hope for everyone that listens to this i hope this was your own you can you know pause and have your own kind of therapy session with us like your make you know uh and you know talk about donner to your to yourself like as you, if you were talking to us um and my hope is and that's what my hope was i really just wanted to kind of talk about this and and just you know yeah i completely yeah donner will be missed and michael thank you thank you thank you for you were the one that proposed the idea and I was like, of course, we've got to do it. I mean, we'll, we'll do this for, I'm sure we'll do this for other filmmakers when they pass. Um, but I just hope it's not very soon. Yeah, definitely. Let's, let's make these fewer and further well, let's spread between. it out. Let's yeah, spread, spread out, out everybody. <laughs> like, I'm glad that we got Wes Cra you know, Craven and now Donner. Um, yeah uh but yeah um all right uh so with that michael uh where can the where can the good people find you and do you run a show right now i know i got confusing last time we talked um yes uh we have a new show that's we have a new version of our podcast that's about to drop here in a few weeks but until then Go to our feed. Go to Slasher Movie Podcast now. It's available on any 
podcast platform, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, doesn't matter. Go check us out. We break down slasher movies, the best ones. We go, you know, and then before that, we did action movies. And soon we'll be doing one that's just more of a grab bag podcast where we talk about 90s Nick. We talk about our, you know, Led Zeppelin you know, each week a new subject, but uh, go to Slasher Movie Podcast now and you'll be able to hear plenty of stuff there. And, you know, and thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. And uh, all the links to what he, what Michael just said will be in the description below. Please check them out. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at MovieKale. That's what we're going to do, more updates. Um, so the show... We were supposed to do this week uh, that had Michael and then Michael's co-host Philip Shaburn uh, was mm-hmm. a new show called uh, from the you know at the time we were recording it, it was called the director's chairs but now um, it's going to be completely something different and it's going to come out soon I will announce official date uh, tomorrow. And I will have more details on it uh, very soon. Uh, it, my, um, and I'm working on it. It's going to be, I think, my best work in podcasting. This you know, new thing I'm doing. I'm so, 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 <laughs> so excited to start this new adventure. Um, the Youth Critic Podcast will still continue. Next uh, week, we're going to do a new episode on Black Widow. Um, uh and yeah everything's going yeah but you'll hear more about this new show coming out very very maybe even the same day this drops um thanks everyone we'll be back with you very very soon um with our continued programming uh on black widow thanks have a good uh have a good weekend <laughs>